You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Ashley Eisenminger is considered the first NCAA triathlete with a disability that required some sport-specific adaptation. As a blind triathlete, she raced varsity women's triathlon her junior and senior year at North Central College. She continues to compete at the highest level at various triathlons, including the Chicago Tri, which is in her backyard. Ashley was recently able to get certified as a USAT coach and is connected to Dare to Try, a Move United member organization where she helps out at some of their camps. Outside of sport, Ashley works for a nonprofit in Chicago called Access Living, where she consults and trains on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Ashley, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to just kind of start with asking you, I understand that you are the first NCAA triathlete uh, with a disability that required some sports-specific uh, ad- adaptations. Can you can you talk about um, what what that was like um, when you when you went down that road? Yeah, absolutely. So I raised varsity women's triathlon uh, my junior and senior year of college with North Central College out in uh, Naperville, Illinois. Um, they've got a really strong program out there. We've seen a lot of success uh, as individuals on the team and also as a team as a whole. Um, as far as we know, because partly because NCAA triathlon is so new, um, but also partly because of the nature of adapting triathlon for athletes with disabilities. Um, we think that I'm the first to kind of set foot onto this stage of NCAA triathlon trying to race um, as a blind athlete. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, blind triathletes race alongside sighted guides. Um, we swim tethered, we ride a tandem bike, and then we run tethered as well. And guides are essentially responsible for everything they would normally be doing to race on top of seeing for me because I'm unable to do that. Um, and triathlon was cool. I came into it uh, but prior to going to North Central and raced pretty casually, um, but saw success in that casual racing um, and was really excited when the coach at North Central, Jenny Garrison, reached out to me um, to see if I'd want to come on board um, and continue developing as an athlete and continue my competitive career with North Central. And, um, and and define casually. That's an interesting, I, I loved, uh, I raced casually. <laughs> um, so I was an endurance runner prior to kind of diving into triathlon. I actually uh, lost a bet with a friend. Um, and as a result of losing said bet, uh, had to race a triathlon with her as my guide, um, which was at the time really daunting and, and something that I didn't think I would enjoy at all. Um, turns out we're like halfway through the bike and I yell at her and I'm like, we have to keep doing this. This is so fun. (laughs) And now it's like all I do. Um, so I did that one race and I was like, I want more. I need more. I love triathlon. Um, and actually it's kind of funny. I reached out to this random stranger on the internet that, um, I had found because I was Googling 
tandem bikes and like triathlon and guiding, just like any words that I could think of because I finished racing and I was like, I can't be the only one. There has to be more than just me doing this. And it turns out there's a whole community of folks doing this. Um, but so I, I cold Facebook messaged um, this woman, Carolyn Gaynor, and I was like, can you help me find a tandem? Um, and that that one message led to us chatting on the phone and her being like, I want to race with you. I'm going to introduce you to like all of these organizations and all of these people that, that do this. And she was really instrumental in kind of connecting me with um, the Paratri community. And so you were an endurance runner before, before that. Had you really, were you also doing any cycling or a lot of cycling? And then obviously, what about the swimming component of that? Um, so as far as cycling goes, um, I had ridden a tandem bike at a summer camp put on by a guide dog school in Michigan called Leader Dogs for the Blind. Um, part of their youth summer experience, like week long camp is tandem bike riding. So that was where I was first exposed. And I immediately was like, I love this. This is the highlight of my like week here. Um, I want to do this more. I hadn't ridden a bike since I stopped riding a single upright bike when I was like 10. Um, so it had been like six years since I had been on a bike um, because my vision had deteriorated enough to where riding a single bike wasn't safe anymore. Um, and when I learned that tandems were a thing and that I could ride one um, and then I could cycle again, I immediately knew that at some point in my life, I wanted that to be a regular thing. At 16, I didn't think it would be through triathlon, um, <laughs> but here we are. Um, as far as swimming goes, I took swim lessons as a kid to learn how to not drown and stuff, mm -hmm. but like never swam competitively, never really like swam unless I had to like mm -hmm. hung out in pools and in water and was really comfortable in water, but just never kind of took up swimming as a sport. And so, um, of the three components of a tri triathlon, what, you know, which one do you still like the most, uh, if that's changed and, um, you know, which one is, you know, how would you rank them in terms of how well you are in each of those sports? Um, so I, I definitely have a toss up between running and cycling. Running will always have a really special place in my heart. It got me through a lot, uh, as a, a teen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love it. I love the people that I get to run with and the people that I've met through running. Um, I love the idea of spending months training for something and, and seeing that kind of come to fruition alongside a person that I would consider to be one of my best friends. Um, and I, I think there's nothing like it. Um, that being said, given where we are currently and what the pandemic has kind of taken from me, um, running hasn't been an option. It hasn't been safe for me to run with a sighted guide. Um, so I've moved my bike into the like living space of my apartment and I've pretty much spent the last year exclusively cycling um, and have found that it's been as instrumental as running was prior for me to kind of keep, keep on track with everything and, and not completely lose my mind in quarantine. Um, I think because of that, currently cycling is probably my strongest 
my strongest leg. Swimming is just the part of the race that I feel like I have to get through. Like, I'm so glad it's first because I can check it off the list and move on. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) If you need to, you can make up time elsewhere, hopefully, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I feel like I'm not alone in that too. I feel like there are other triathletes that share that belief. Yep. Swimming is just, just comes with the territory. I just have to do it. Yes. Cause two sports isn't enough. We have to do three. <laughs> That's right. And you, you talked about, you know, particularly with the pandemic, um, uh, you know, running with a guide or guides or, and, and then obviously the other two activities of, of the triathlon part as well. But, um, in terms of like your relationship, do you, is there one person that you've, um, uh, I mean, for maybe folks that don't even know uh, the sport, is there one person that does all three legs or elements of that with you? And then kind of the second part of that question is, have you had one person that you've done this with for a long time? Or, you know, do you alternate? And are there others that you engage in in, in this, in, this um, in, in your pursuit of the sport? Uh, so for racing specifically, I have to do the entire three legs of the triathlon with the same person. If I'm racing competitively, it has to be a woman. Um, so I have a few women that I will regularly do triathlon with, um, not necessarily train with them, but race with them. Um, as far as training in particular, like now, or even prior to the pandemic, um, it kind of varied. I'm really fortunate to have a really good mix of people that um, want to spend time exercising with me. I do a lot of running and some cycling with my friend Dan over at Dare to Try. Mm -hmm. Um, I I race with a woman named Danielle who's local to Chicago. So we're able to train together. Um, One of my best friends, Rachel, I it took a couple of years, but I finally convinced her that running was cool and that she should run with me. And so we run together every chance we get. Um, Carolyn, who I mentioned earlier, uh, she lives out in Charlotte, so we don't get to train together much, but we've raced together so much that we can pretty much pick up right where we've left off, which is really nice. Um, and then I'm always looking for more people, especially for training. Um, I can't run outside without a guide. I can't swim in Lake Michigan, which is literally across the street from where I live without a sighted guide. Uh, I can't ride a tandem bike without a sighted guide. So anytime I want to train outside, I need another person. And so I'm always putting out feelers with different run clubs and and organizations in Chicago to, to try to find people that want to kind of learn how to do all of this. And, um, when it, which, which, um, can you name some of the you know triathlons that you've competed in and some of the competitions and, and what are, what are some of your favorites that you like to go to, uh, I guess on a regular basis? Yeah. So, um, the Chicago try, which is local to, to me will always be a, a fan favorite of mine. Um, it's never a fast race because it's so crowded, but nothing beats just hauling it down Lakeshore drive with no traffic. It's so fun. Um, one of my favorite courses to race is actually out in Sarasota, Florida. It's where um, the International Triathlon Union or ITU holds continental championships. Um, and I get, I've gotten to go out there a few times and race with Team USA, which has been really fun. The bike course is so fast um, and I, it really plays to my strengths as an athlete. And I've been fortunate to go out there with a handful of really strong women um, to kind of 
execute some really good performances on that course. And you mentioned um, Dare to Try. How did you connect with Dare to Try? Uh, through Originally through um, Carolyn, when I connected with her um, prior to knowing really anything about triathlon, um, one of the people she introduced me to was Dan over at Dare to Try, Dan and Carrie. Um, and I actually uh, connected with Dan on the phone and got registered for camp, uh, met everybody in person there. Uh, I think that was 2015, probably. Um, and they're now some of my my best friends. I consider most of them family, um, especially living up here, getting to see them really regularly. Yeah, I was going to say they're in your backyard in, in essence, right? And yeah. Uh, that- they're a wonderful uh, member organization of Move United, and, and Carrie, and full disclosure, is on our board. So, uh, yes. so you know, great partners there that you you've connected with. Um, you you also mentioned that you've been you you now help at some camps, uh, including a Dare to Try camp, uh, and and you're hoping, obviously, that with the pandemic, maybe uh, maybe in the pandemic situation improving, that you hope to gear up uh, this summer with some activities. Yeah, so I actually um, was able to get uh, certified as a USAT coach and then further my education thanks to Move United um, and get certified in coaching paratriathlon. Um, And so I now get to take my lived experience as an athlete with a disability and my professional experience as someone who who races um, fairly well and work with the athletes that come to different Dare to Try camps. Um, I also oversee, I don't know if oversee is the right word, but we're going to go with it. Um, I oversee and teach uh, most of our volunteers that end up um, piloting blind athletes on tandems. Um, I like to call myself the the test dummy and I get to get on the bike with them for the first time and kind of teach them the ropes so that they, when they get on the bike with uh, the athlete that they're guiding, they aren't brand new to it. And they kind of have an idea of what, what they need to do. Um, which has been really fun and really fulfilling because I love getting to work with not only blind athletes, but um, their guides and we serve um, athletes with all types of physical disabilities. So I really like the variety that comes with our camps um, and coaching at them is definitely one of the highlights of my summer. I really hope that we are able to make some of those happen this summer. And so, uh, being being that test dummy, so someone who hasn't been a pilot before, what is that experience like? I imagine um, there's a little bit of they're they're nervous. There's a little <laughs> little bit of uh, apprehension, and yeah. and uh, and then just talk about maybe the 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 difference between getting on a on a stand up bike and versus a tandem bike for someone who may not have been on a tandem bike before. Totally. So a tandem is a bike built for two. Um, We have a pilot and a stoker. The pilot is the sighted individual that sits on the front of the bike. Um, They're responsible for shifting, steering, seeing, you know, the important three S's. Um, They also have a set of pedals, so they have to pedal as well. Um, And then the blind athlete or stoker is on the back uh, and their handlebars are fixed, so they can't turn. Um, And they also have a set of pedals. Uh, So tandems are unique because the two sets of pedals are on the same timing chain. So whatever the person in front is doing, the person in back automatically has no choice. They also have to do it, which requires finesse and communication. And so 
when I work with people who are new to piloting tandems, that's usually what makes them the most nervous is having to kind of communicate everything and also keep the bike up because it's kind of like, I equate it to driving a stretch limo. I've never driven a stretch limo, so I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what I tell them. And they seem to, it seems to click for everybody. So we go with it. Um, but lots of nerves, lots of shakiness. I always tell people that as long as they look where they want to go, they point the bike where they want to go and they don't stop pedaling, they'll stay upright. And that tends to make them less nervous. We typically have them ride without someone on the back first. I like to crack jokes as they're riding around the parking lot about how they've forgotten their, their companion. Um, once they feel comfortable kind of maneuvering the bike with just them on it, I'll hop on and that usually involves a lot of like positivity and like pumping them up from behind, just like getting them super stoked and excited and reminding them like of what to do. And then once they're comfortable with me, um, I usually have somebody else get on. And once they're comfortable with that, we introduce them to a blind athlete. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think it, there would be just some some nervousness and apprehension there. Uh, I may have to give it a try sometime or so. <laughs> Let me know. Let me know. Happy uh -oh, to uh -oh. teach you. Happy to teach you. I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so going back to those uh, three sports, how do you train for each of, you know, how do you train? How do you uh, kind of incorporate your training and, and um I guess, uh, alternate your training in order to, to compete at a high elite level in, you know, essentially three different sports. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I like to say, I like to really stay busy and triathlon helps me do that because it's three sports. Um, but what people don't think about is that on top of swim, bike and run, we also need to strength train. So really we're looking at equally distributing four different activities throughout the week. I try to hit each two to three times a week. Um, strength, I usually only hit twice a week. And all the strength coaches listening to this are probably rolling their eyes right now. Um, but How swimming, dare you? <laughs> the swimming, cycling, and running, um, I try to hit two to three times a week. Uh, in an ideal situation, I'm hitting each of them three times a week. Um, most of my swim training is done in a pool. Um, so I'm really excited that gyms are starting to open back up here because I haven't swam since last February and I'm kind of nervous for my first swim back. I'm hoping <laughs> in the next couple of weeks to um, rejoin a gym and, and hop back in the pool and, and try to remind myself that I know how to swim. Um, the cycling, uh, I can actually do it indoors as well. So I have a bike um, set up on a trainer here. And basically what a trainer does is it just makes the bike stationary so that it can't move. Um, and I can do all of my workouts here in my apartment. Um, that being said, it's really important to get outside and ride on a tandem because there's handling and strategy and communication practice and skills specific to tandem riding that are important to to practice and as the weather gets warmer I'm excited because I got um a new tandem actually right before we went on to lockdown I've been seeing this trend going around on social media where people are like what's the most useless thing you bought in 2019 for 2020 and mine was a brand new tandem that I couldn't ride because we were on lockdown for so long 
Um, so I have this brand new tandem staring at me um, that I'm really, really excited as the weather gets nicer to be able to start riding and kind of learning the intricacies of. Um, and then with running, either a treadmill in a gym, um, which is the only way I can do it independently, or a sighted guide outside. And with the weather getting nicer, um, people are much more inclined. Weather getting nicer and vaccinations becoming more prevalent, people are much more inclined to uh, lend me their eyes for a run, which is really nice. Mm-hmm, indeed. And you mentioned, obviously, that you know, growing up, your, your um, eyesight deteriorated. Can you walk folks through, you know, maybe in terms of specifically uh, what has caused that for you and, and, um, and that I know there's, you know, obviously different types of, of ability in terms of vision. So can you walk, walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I'm actually one in a set of triplets. Um, We were born really premature, about 13, 13 and a half weeks early. Um, and as such developed an eye condition called retinopathy of prematurity or ROP. Essentially what it means is the structures in our eyes didn't have time to develop because we were born so early. Um, all three of us have it, um, and vision loss occurs on a spectrum. And I like to say that we are a perfect example of that. Um, one of my sisters is able to drive a car and has almost perfect vision with correction. Um, and then the other one, uh, is kind of that middle ground, right? She she isn't so severely visually impaired that she's a Braille reader, a cane user, a guide dog user, anything like that. Um, but she does benefit from larger text um, and some of the low vision specific things that we think of with um, like accessibility settings on like phones and stuff. Um, and then there's, there's me. Um, I fall on the more severely affected side of things. Um, as it stands today, I have no vision in my right eye. Um, and in my left eye, I can see light and the occasional large object. Um, McCain user. Um, but growing up, I had a little bit more functional vision. I could read really big font, um, like 70 size font, really big font, not like 25 <laughs> point font, um, like giant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um And as I kind of was getting older and in middle school, uh, my vision started to change. I had a pretty drastic drop um, in in eighth grade, um, just prior to going into high school Um, and got a little bit back from that, but have pretty much kind of hung out in that, that kind of more severely affected space um, since then. Um, What's tricky about my eye condition is you're supposed to be relatively stable after puberty. So realistically, the drop that I had in middle school should kind of be it. Um, I've had some fluctuation since um, where I've lost a little bit more or I've become a little bit more light sensitive, which can impact remaining vision, Um, different things like that are affected by um, some of the intricacies of the nature of my eye condition. Um, so I'm not hundred percent sure kind of what the outlook is. I take everything day by day. Um, and obviously I'm super grateful for the limited vision that I do have. Um, but I'm also accustomed to kind of functioning without it. Yeah. And I was, I was going to ask with ROP, if, if, 
if it if it would be basically continuing to um, you know decrease, or if like if your sisters, if the, if the prognosis is ultimately it will continue to degenerate, like, I, you know, and and so is it is that the medical? Uh, I mean, is is the medical kind of assumption it, that it it will stabilize or that it will continue to decrease or the expectation um, that it continue to decrease? Yeah, it's it's that's the part that's a little bit up in the air. So my two sisters have been stable for years. I'm like kind of jealous, but also not because we all, we all know that seeing doesn't you know it's not necessary. It's just it's just nice. Um, they've been stable for a really long time. They've had very little. Um, issues related to their vision. Um, and then I haven't been as stable. Um, I, I deal with kind of the fluctuations like I had mentioned earlier. Um, and we don't really know. Um, everything looks stable um, for the most part when I go get eye exams, but the structures in my eyes are so weak that there's the potential for that to change. Um, it just kind of it just kind of depends, which is my least favorite answer to receive and give. <laughs> um, we just kind of take it in stride a day mm -hmm. at a time and make the most of what we've got while we got it. And, you know, again, for just those that are that are listening and, and not familiar with, you know, the world that you live in, um, I know that there's been an, and, and this is generally in our, in our adaptive sports disability community, right? Where mm -hmm. language and terminology changes. So can you, can you describe, you know, at least from your perspective, what the, what the preferred language is? And then, um, you know, in general, how, how do you feel like you're treated, you know, and, and uh, hopefully that's changed, you know, um, uh, you know, now versus maybe even in years past, but kind of walk us through kind of that, that, uh, the world that you live in. Totally. So language is a really slippery slope because everybody has their preferences. Um, although I have some vision, um, and it's somewhat functional, I identify as a blind woman because my vision isn't functional enough to assist me in seeing in ways that the, the, the sighted person next to me would consider helpful. Um, and it's just easier for me to tell people that I'm blind because I would rather them assume I see nothing than assume I can kind of see some things. Um, it just tends to lend itself um, to an easier flow of interaction um, with the sports world in particular, I tend to identify disability first. So I'm a blind athlete, I'm a blind runner, blind triathlete, et cetera. Um, in professional spaces, there's a lot of debate about person first language mm -hmm. versus identity first language. Um, and I tend to lean towards identity first language, um, which is slowly kind of be becoming the shift. Um, in those spaces, I like to view my disability as a celebrated part of me. Um, it's crucial to making me, me. I've said for a long time now that I think I've done more with no vision than I would ever do with it. Mm -hmm. um, just by nature of kind of the people that I've gotten to meet and the spaces that I've gotten to exist in. Um, I, I take a lot of pride in that aspect of my identity and I don't have an issue leading with it. Um, that being said, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions when we look at like non-disabled people or non-disabled athletes 
and they assume that, um, especially in athletic spaces that I'm just out there to, to be out there. They learn really quickly as I blow past them on the course that that is not the case. Um, exactly. The amount of times that I'll be actively passing somebody on my bike and they'll be like, oh, that's so cool. How do you get to do that? And I casually yell back, well, you have to be blind to do this. And I like wish I could see their face. Um, but there's a lot of misconception that athletes are out there just having fun, doing their thing. And there are a lot of people that do, and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with it, but usually I'm out there to beat everybody else on the course to the finish line. Um, that's generally the goal. And so in the sports world, I think I do a lot of work to kind of curb that, that misconception. I'm like not there for someone else's inspiration or motivation. Mm -hmm. I'm there because I worked really hard to get there and I want to be there and I can perform well. Um, and I think that that kind of translates over to what I like to call the real world, the non-sports world. Um, there's a lot of proving yourself, whether you have a visual impairment like I do, or you have a physical disability, like people automatically, whether it's through their own unconscious bias or preconceived notions, they assume that you're already not able or not capable of doing whatever it is. And so a lot of times I get caught kind of having to prove myself. And I hope that it's gotten better as time has gone on. And I hope that it continues to get better because I think the world is missing out on a ton of talent um, in a lot of spaces when they don't consider what the disabled community can bring to the table. And, and do you feel like you're proving yourself for yourself or for others? It's a good question. I think it depends on the situation. Um, I have done a lot of work to become confident in who I am as a blind person, um, whether that be in athletics or professionally. Um, I think in athletics, it's more to prove to myself that I can do it. Um, I tend to try to be very narrow focused. Um, it's one of the only spaces that I feel like I can do that. And it's not abnormal. Um, professionally, I think a lot of what I'm doing, I know I can do, and I know I'm probably capable of doing more. It's convincing other people that they can like put that trust in me or, um, give me that opportunity to take like lead on a project. Um, or whatever the scenario would be. Um, there's a lot of people that I think you really have to work to show them that despite what they deem to be a challenge, you can kind of take and say like, this aspect is challenging, but because I'm challenged in an X way, I've learned to overcome it and these skills are applicable in this space. And we see that in sports every day, whether it's somebody using like, a running blade or like me running with a sighted guide, like we are naturally adaptable and athletics that feels like it's something that's more celebrated. And in, in the professional world, I feel like we're not quite to that point where we celebrate people's ability to adapt as much. I think with the pandemic, we are, we're moving in that direction and we're seeing how adaptable our society can be. And I just hope that as things reopen and we start to transition back that um, we don't kind of lose focus on how adaptable we had to be and how we were able to make it all work. And in some instances thrive, um, despite the circumstance. Um, 
And I think that that's a really good lesson to kind of take forward in interactions with really anybody, but people with disabilities in particular. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, given the, your, your point about the pandemic and, and everyone really needing to adjust and adapt right uh, to at least that situation. But that and, of course, the moment that we're in with um, society in terms of, and, and you brought it up, the unconscious bias, unconscious bias part. Um, how have you, uh, have you seen um, the unconscious bias part? Um, improve at least in terms of in interactions or engagement with other people that may not know you or um, or that you are a blind athlete or a blind woman? I think yes. I think it's important to say that like we all have unconscious bias. No one's immune from it. We're always going to have it. Um, but what we can do is kind of learn how to recognize it and, and learn how to change it. And I think because people are so much more aware through other um, other minority movements, um, I think they're, that we're able to kind of catch ourselves um, in the act of a judgment, not every time, but a lot more and kind of reframe that. And I've noticed it in interactions with people. I've seen it in the movement. Um, I know like on, on social media, like on Instagram and TikTok, like people are captioning their videos for access. I know that I've commented on some videos and have been like, can you add like an audio description of what's happening? And like, people will do that. And so they're learning and they want to learn. And there's this desire to be more accessible and inclusive. It's really just getting the right information to kind of make that happen. But the conscious effort is becoming much more prevalent. And that's really exciting. Yeah, because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know, right? And so it's just, it, and, and by you being able to ask or request those types of things, it's it's hopefully opening the minds, opening the doors uh, for, you know, oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even know about that. And and, yeah. and through sport, we know that, that ha sport has the power to, to do that significantly as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite things to do um, with sport is hang out after a race. I like to linger by the finish line. Um, and kind of chat with some of the people that either finished ahead of me or finished right behind me, but we interacted on the course in some capacity throughout the race. And it's like, I've met people that are like, I didn't know blind people could do triathlon. I, I want to help blind people do triathlon. Like what, where can I learn more? And it's great to be able to send them to places like move United or dare to try, um, and, kind of get them enmeshed in the community because the more visibility that we have, and, and we see this in, in media too, even like the more visibility that the disability mm -hmm. community has, be it sport or another context, the more aware people are going to be that like disability is really prevalent. It's one of the largest minority groups in the US. It's the only minority group that you can become a member of at any point in your life. Um, the more visibility that, that the community has, I think the more you'll see that unconscious bias become less of an issue. And before I move away from sports, I just have a couple other questions. Um, what are your expectations uh, as, as the summer opens up and uh, as competitions gear up? I mean, what are your expectations, I guess, uh, from a sports perspective um, for yourself? I'm so excited that racing is probably, fingers crossed, knock on wood, going to happen. Um, it's been such a long time since I've gotten to race that I really want to take 
the opportunities that I do get this summer, assuming that they come about, um, to enjoy the sport and kind of remember why I love it so much. Um, I, I do plan to race nationals and I do hope to, to do really well there. Uh, but one of the things that I tell the athletes that I'm currently coaching and I like to remind myself is we've all had this year plus hiatus, like so much of what coming back into racing this season is going to be is just learning to love the sport again and being grateful for the opportunity to toe the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And then, and then I guess my last question is just, you know, obviously outside of sport, because you are more than an athlete. What are, what are some things that you, you know, what are your, what are your professional goals? What are some other things that you enjoy doing besides sport? Yeah. So, um, I work in the city in Chicago. Um, I do a lot of, um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, um, consulting and training stuff for a, a nonprofit here called Access Living. Um, I love my job and I love uh, the work I get to do and kind of getting to play a role in curbing some of that unconscious bias in different professional spaces. Um, I, while sport takes up a lot of my personal time outside of work, um, I absolutely love reading, which has been really convenient considering we've all had to stay inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really can't wait to get back outside and get hiking again. It's one of my favorite active, but not triathlon-ish <laughs> ways to um, Active, but passive, day. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love... Um, I love getting to hike. I love making whoever's hiking with me, like describe what's going on around me. Um, and then I love to travel. So I'm, I'm really excited for the day when that's safe again. I think we're getting close to in-country travel being safe. Um, and I can't wait to, to get to hug some people that I haven't gotten to see in, in over a year. That's wonderful. And I think many of us are, are hoping and, and looking forward to that opportunity as well. Are there uh, social media platforms um, that you that are public that you want to that you like to engage people in if people are interested in in reaching out to you or, or, or in just engaging or following even your journey uh, as competitions open up? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram publicly. Um, my handle is at a Eisenminger three. Um, my last name is really long, so hopefully that can uh, appear somewhere in like the show notes. Um, but yeah, I love, I use Instagram and Twitter publicly and I love connecting with people, asking questions or answering questions about, um, guiding and sport. And there's a lot of cool content, um, about what I'm up to and, and what some of my friends are up to. That's wonderful. Well, Ashley, thank you for, uh, for the conversation today. Thank you for having me.